0: Amen. Good morning. If you're here for the first time, um, my name is Tim, one of the pastors here. And uh, kind of a monumental morning. We've never had to add chairs in the back before. That's great. Just as a, just as a note, there's some seats in the splash zone up here if you, if, uh, if, if you want to come a little closer. Um, but I'm, I'm glad you're here. We're glad you're here. And I agree with Jesse. It is beautiful to hear all these voices coming together. So, if you've been here for a while, you know I like to ask questions, because that's how we learn. If I just stood up here and told you a bunch of information, I don't think it would have the same impact. And so the question that I want you to think about this morning, it's kind of an easy one. It's a softball, but it's going to set up our text. Uh, Has anyone ever been to the Caribbean as a tourist, or been to a third world country? Anyone? Okay. When you go as a tourist, what do you feel like when you get to the market? Uh, anyone ever been there? The, the, the kind of bizarre where, and not bizarre as in strange, but bizarre with, with two R's, as in, as in where everyone comes to sell their, their wares. You go in as a tourist, especially when you go to the Caribbean, they will drop you off the, or it's outside the hotel, or they'll drop you off the, the uh, cruise ship, and everybody who's got something to sell, you are immediately their new best friend. So whether it's, it's food, or clothes, or, or jewelry, or something woodworking, it's, it's this cacophony of, of, of sights and sounds. It's, it's bright colors, it's excited people, and everyone is a potential sale. And so, and if you've been to highly populated markets and in, 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 um, places like that, or if you've been in Florida long enough to remember Flea World, it kind of feels the same, the same way. If you, if you have not been to a third world country and you've been to Flea World, it's the same thing. Um, but that, that feeling of, It's a little bit overwhelming. It's kind of cool for a moment, and then it's kind of hard to distinguish one voice from another. You want to buy from this person, this person. Everyone loves you until you make the sale. And then it's on to the next one, or until you walk away. Now that is going to help us understand our text, because if we realize it or not, this is what it's like throughout our day, every day. We don't realize, compared to most people in history and most people around the country, we live in a 24 hour marketplace. There are so many voices telling us what to do, telling us what to buy, trying to convince us of one thing or the other, and we don't realize that we carry our marketplace in our pockets. And our marketplace is not just the, the local goods, it is the world, it is the world's ideas the world's marketing, the world's advertising, the world's news, and we're not meant to hear from that many voices. We are not meant to be pulled in that many competing directions. No wonder many of us are exhausted after we spend a couple hours on our phone. Because whether it's the news or social media or advertisements or a documentary or or entertainment, oh, I've gotta go here, oh, I've gotta go here, oh, I've, I've gotta go here. And there becomes this, this, this overwhelming mental weight of I've got to get all these things done, but I haven't really done any of them well. And the questions you know, that we have to ask, a couple questions, is one, how much information am I bringing in every day? And if you haven't thought about that, you should. But the more important question is who am I listening to and why? What information do I choose to listen to and why? With everyone competing for our attention, which voices actually get it? And so this is going to bring us into where we are in the book of Proverbs because this is exactly what's going on with parents giving their counsel to their son. So last week it was the parents' challenge to avoid the call of the sinner, The sinner's gonna call you into wickedness, and that wickedness leads to death. But now there's a competing call, a call of wisdom. Will you listen to her? The parents are almost imploring their their son here. Will you listen to wisdom's call? And my question for you right now, and through all of this message, is will you listen to wisdom's call? Or will she get drowned out by all the other competing voices? So as I mentioned last week, we're getting into the prologue portion of the book. There's going to be a series of sermons, uh, basically lectures given as Hebrew poems. And so for us to understand where we're going this morning, the poetic structure is going to be helpful. And it'll be up on the screen. Um, this is Bruce Waltke's structure, uh, but my explanation. So I kind of took his structure and um, added my terminology to it. So the first thing we're going to see is the, the, the setting. This is what's going on and where it's going on. It's wisdom crying out publicly in verses 20 and 21. And so um, it has a chiastic structure. And if you haven't taken Greek, chiasm comes from the Greek letter chi, which is an X. And so basically what happens in a chiastic structure, you'll see that that the ends will work its way toward the middle as in the middle of the X. And typically what's in the middle of that X is the point. We'll get there in just a moment. So... Our, our, so A and A are parallel, B and B are parallel, C and C are parallel. And C is kind of what, what really needs to be driven home here. So A, wisdom's call of life to the unwise. This kind of progresses from wisdom calling. Um, so I summarize the uh, foolish, the scoffers, and the simple as the unwise. The unwise then reject wisdom's call. Wisdom then mocks their calamity and then rejects their call in return once it's too late. And then the unwise deserve their own rejection. And then this call for life is given to those who listen, but those who reject it die. And so the big idea is in the middle. There is no salvation, there is no life for those who oppose the wisdom of God. There are no second chances, there are no third options. You listen to wisdom and live, or you reject her and die. That will also be the moral of our story in verses 32 and 33. So hopefully that will help you. Um, so open your Bibles. We're going to be, I'm going to begin reading in verse 20, and we're going to read through verse 33, and we're going to move through this poem. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will you scoffers delight in their scoffering? And fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you have refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I, will, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because... They hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despise all of my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have the fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, quiet our minds and our hearts this morning. Still our thoughts that we may hear that still small voice. Lord, I pray that you just banish all of the distractions of the week. For most of us in this room, that we would turn our phones off, put them in our pockets, pick up a bible from the pew in front of us so we're not te- we're not tempted to read that text message or that email alert. Lord, we are so driven by every new piece of information. We are consumed with it. But your truth is unfading. Your truth is unchanging. You, God, the true and living God, are the same yesterday, today, and forever. May we hold on to your word. As an, as an unshakable pillar, our security and our rock through Jesus Christ. Lord, may your spirit work in us this morning. May the words that I speak not be my own, but may you use them for your purposes. May you prepare the soil that it may bear fruit. And may Jesus Christ be glorified in everything we say and do this morning and throughout our entire week. May the call of wisdom be heard. And may the foolish and simple repent and turn from their foolish ways and put their faith in Jesus Christ that they may live. That is our aim. That is why we are here. And because we live in him, we praise you we thank you. We have been given your spirit. We have been given life. We have been given wisdom. May we take it, may we apply it to our minds and our hearts and our actions that we may not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to introduce a new character into the book of Proverbs. And her name is Wisdom. Now it's helpful to know a little bit about what wisdom is in the context of Proverbs. Now wisdom is a concept. But wisdom in Proverbs is personified. Um, and this noun in the Hebrew is, is plural. And, and, and that's helpful for a reason. Elohim, the noun for God, is plural as well. So this is not just to say wisdom is, is one solitary woman over here. Wisdom is an ever-present good, a, a compelling divine voice. Wisdom is everywhere. Wisdom is not, loca- is not just limited to your location. Wisdom is something that is so closely associated with God that it cannot be limited to one woman. So we're not going to overly reduce the idea of what, what wisdom is here. Um, it's a divine representation in female form. And if you want to know more about wisdom in this book, we'll get there in chapters 8 and 9. But I'd like you to turn there, and I I encourage you to read ahead. Here's just a small glimpse of how we should view the voice of wisdom. So if you go to Proverbs chapter 8, I'm going to start reading in verse 4. I'm going to read through verse 11. Notice how the writer of Proverbs wants us to listen to this voice. This is how we should listen to the wisdom of this book, starting in verse 4. Uh, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. That means this is for everybody. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. That is how we're to hear the voice of Lady Wisdom, especially in these first nine chapters. She's gonna be very present. Plus, if you're a father who's writing to a young man, what's going to be more compelling than a smart, charming woman? Young man, you may not listen to me, but there's this beautiful woman out there who's smarter than I will ever be. Listen to her. That's what's what's going on here. There's this this great teaching tool that the father is using for the son. And and as we saw in chapter 8, this is a father speaking to a son, but this wisdom applies to everyone. This is wise wisdom for for, for children, and this is a model for parents and, and how to teach their children. So let's look at some of these aspects of wisdom's call. Now we're gonna get the setting. Now we know the importance of the setting because if you've been around for any amount of time, we look at repeated words, repeated themes. We're gonna get four parallel lines with four, parallel, four, four parallels of wisdom's call and of the environment of her call. Let's look at her call first. Wisdom cries aloud. She raises her voice. She cries out again in verse 21 and she speaks in verse 24. There is an emphasis here. Wisdom is speaking all of the time. And it's important to note this first one, cries aloud. This is not an angry cry. This is a joyful cry. This is an evangelistic exclamation. She is crying out with good news. She is raising her voice that you will listen because she's got something good to tell you. So here's what she's doing and here's where she's doing it. In the street, in the market, in the noisy street, in the entrance to the city gate. Now these are not um, limited to these specific areas but these are representative of, of all of the places within the city. There are streets, there are markets, there are quiet streets, there are noisy streets. So this is everything from where the commoners would go so the commoners would be in the noisy streets. The commoners would be in the marketplace. But the aristocracy, those, the, the elders, those who make the decision, they'd be at the city gates. So the lesson here is that wisdom is not just for those in the ivory tower. It's for those pedestrians who walk around in the noisy streets to those high up. Wisdom cries publicly to everyone everywhere. So that's the message that's, that's going on here. Bruce Waltke, uh calls her a sidewalk preacher. Don't read more into that than you need to. Um, it's, it's, it's just there for the allegory. Um, but I want you to notice about this preaching, this proclamation. Wisdom is not wimpy. This is not weak, passive preaching like, I hope you listen to me. I, I, I really want you to... Uh, to, to validate me by listening to what I'm saying. Wisdom is bold. Wisdom is confident. Wisdom is crying out on every corner, listen to me, I've got something good to tell you. It's a bold call. However, the streets are noisy. There is a lot of other competing voices. Everyone is trying to sell you something. So the setting that is, that is being laid out here is wisdom is everywhere. Wisdom is crying out. So you've got to work hard to avoid her. You've got to like put your fingers in your ear and do the thing you did when you were like four years old and say la 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 and I don't want to hear you. You, might, you have to do that to avoid wisdom. Some of you still do that when you hear wisdom. And so what the writer is setting up here is she's crying out. Do you seek to hear her? Do you hear her voice? Or are you letting her being drowned out by all of the other noise that is going on in the market? But what else is present here is that no one can say, I never heard wisdom. No one can say, well, I didn't know that. Wisdom is clear. For you to not hear wisdom, you must suppress the truth. So I want to look at three texts Uh, quickly within the New Testament that helped lay this out. Uh, If you can get there quickly, go. We'll be in Romans 1, Colossians 2, and John 7. So it'll be on the screen if you can't follow along. But Romans 1. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying the same thing that Solomon is saying here uh, in Proverbs. And so this is going to be kind of understood throughout our, our sermon, our poem. Romans 1 verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Here's what's going on. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Here's wisdom's voice in 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Wisdom is crying out from the street corners. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Here's the problem. Everyone who we're going to encounter later on in this this poem, they're deserving of the wrath of God. Not because they were ignorant, but because in full knowledge of what God told them, they suppressed the truth, so they're without excuse. God made it clear to them, I am almighty God. God. I made the mountains, I made the seas, I made the trees, and I am shouting from every street corner, turn from your foolishness and turn to me. Here's the problem. They want to suppress the truth. Here's the answer, Colossians 2. Now there are many competing versions of wisdom in the world. There are many who claim to have an understanding that is above others, and we can look for many places for information. But look at the language of, of Paul. Just the, the half or the latter half of this is on the screen. But in the beginning of verse, or me, chapter two, he says, "For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you." Here's Paul's struggle. I am struggling with all my energy, and this is the most important end. Middle of verse two, to um, that their hearts may be encouraged to reach all the riches of the knowledge of God's mercy, which is Christ. Paul's struggle. I want you to know Christ. That is what is most important. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The problem is not that God has not shown himself to us. The problem is that we suppress the truth in our flesh. The solution is Christ, because in him is all wisdom, all understanding. It is the mystery of God given to his people. And so that's why when we see a similar call in John chapter 7, now we understand what Jesus is doing. Look at John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. John 7, he's in Jerusalem on the last day of the feast. A great day. I hate when people try to make Jesus only meek and mild. This effeminate Jesus who is, who, is, who, is, who is never bold and does not preach and proclaim against unrighteousness. He has a good message, of course, but it is a bold, loud message. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, just like wisdom, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This will be important as we go on. But Jesus is like wisdom. He stands on the street corner. The Jews were without excuse. He is proclaiming the good news to them. And then there is a debate after. The good news that goes on in the rest of John chapter 7. We won't, we won't get there. But I want you to see this. The problem, suppression of truth. The answer, the wisdom of Christ, and the call that goes out. The general call of salvation. The gospel message. That apart from me, the wrath of God is on you. But if you come to me, those who can bear your burdens, if you come to me, I will take on your weight. My yoke is easy, my burden is light, and if you come to me, I will give you eternal life. But you must turn from the world. You must die to yourself, because I died for you. And if you do that, I will put my spirit within you, and rivers of living water will flow out of your heart. This imagery, rivers don't stop flowing. The spirit, when the spirit indwells us, there is no... In the new covenant, in Christ, there is no coming and going of the Spirit. When the Spirit comes in a believer, the river keeps flowing and flowing and flowing. And this is beautiful, good news. So, But we're looking at the shadow of this preaching. So I want to keep going back to the fulfillment in Christ. So what does this preaching sound like? What is this pre-incarnate preaching? Uh, pretty similar to the incarnate preaching. Look at the sermon proper as it begins here in verse 22. Um, what is she proclaiming? Is this a gospel? Good news. You're perfect. Jesus wants you to stay just the way you are. You can, you can stay exactly how you are. You're great. Everyone loves you. Stay right there. No. The, the, the message has always been the same. But there's, there's a, a wise twist to it. How long Oh, simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and the fools hate knowledge? And we looked at these three categories two weeks ago. Let's break these down again briefly. The simple, these are the naive, gullible ones. This is not a direct condemnation for being simple, you're just unlearned. But the call is: don't remain simple, don't stay in your ignorance. There's not a condemnation, but there's also a call not to be complacent. So I group, I group these three as unwise because they're in contrast to the wise. They're all in different phases of their, their, their unwisdom. Not a word, but, um, but by default, you are unwise. But the call is don't stay there. And so as I think about this category, I think about so many people who call themselves Christians. So many people who attend church week after week after week. And I talk to them. You've probably had this conversation. I may have had this conversation with you. But they're content with being ignorant of the scriptures. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I've been in church for 20 years. And I don't know Matthew from Malachi. You are simple and being content in your simpleness. The call of wisdom is how long are you going to love being a baby? How long are you going to love sucking on a bottle? Grow up. This is the call. The scoffer, this is the the cynic, the the, the mocker, the one who criticizes and who loves to criticize. There's a brief picture of this in chapter 9. Look at Proverbs 9, 7, and 8. These are going to be great when we start to get into a lot of these individual Proverbs. But Proverbs 7 and 8 says, um, Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse. Ever been there? And he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you, but reprove a wise man and he will love you. The scoffer loves to be the contrarian. They love to be critical. That is right, amen. And then there's the fools. The fools are kind of one step further. They're the willfully immoral. They're the ones who reject and rebel against wisdom. They hate it. So let's summarize these three groups real quick. Here's the problem with the first two. The first two love what they should not love. But what makes the fool dangerous is he hates what he should love. The first two love what they should not love, being simple and their cynicism. But the fool hates what he should love. So here's kind of the general call. And now it kind of, now there there comes a a promise of good news in verse 23. If you turn, this is another word for repentance. If you repent at my reproof. So reproof, this is correction, my, my, my scolding. This is good for you. If you turn at it, there's still hope. If you listen to my correction and believe my counsel, there's good news. So the preaching then is no different than the preaching now. The preaching then is repent and believe. Turn from this and turn to this. Turn from foolishness and simpleness and scoffing and turn to this. Here's the good news. If you turn, behold, pay attention here. Here's my promise. I will pour out my spirit to you. Repent and believe and I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Now, it's important here why the ESV and most of your translations are going to translate this with a lowercase s. This is not necessarily the third member of the Trinity. Now, there's some of those implications. But this is a very common word in Hebrew. Ruach is just breath or, or wind, but also implies life. It also um, I- implies thoughts and, and uh, wisdom and uh, knowledge. And so a good example of this is, is Job um, talks about the, the length of his days as, as long as the spirit of God is in my nostrils. Job, Job is so convinced of the sovereignty of God that he gives even the breath of his nostrils to God's glory. And it, it is only because of God that I have breath in my nostrils. So basically, if you were to sum all this up, it would essentially be turn from your unwise ways and I will give you life-giving knowledge. Turn from your unwise ways, and I will give you life giving knowledge. And the the parallel helps us there. Where he says, I will pour out my spirit, I will make known my words. Pour out, make known, spirit and words. So the the summary here, the summary of the teaching is turn from your unwise ways, and I will give you life giving knowledge. This, This breath of the Lord I will give to you, I will lengthen your days. Uh, And so this promise of the the, the Spirit of God life is connected to the capital S, Spirit of God. Here's another promise in Ezekiel 36. Again, I'm going to kind of go through these quickly. If you can get there, get there. It will be on the screen. I would rather have you uh, listen than if you're going to have a hard time flipping through and not make it. So I want to look at three verses here. But notice what's going on here. Here's another promise. Ezekiel 36, verse 28. Excuse me, starting in verse 26. I will give you a new heart. Here's, a, here's a, a, a promise of pouring out and a new spirit. Notice, lowercase s. I will give you a new life. I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit, capital S, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I give your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your, your God. I will give you this new life, which includes my spirit, capital S. This is regenerative language. This is being born again with a new mind and, and a new heart, a new life marked by the Spirit of God. And so this is kind of the, the precursor to that. If you listen to me, I will give you new life. So far, so good? All right. Um, this is fulfilled. Here's the, here's, here's the shadow, here's the fullness in Titus 3. Titus 3, verses 3 through 7, we'll see this pattern of sin, spirit, then life. Turn from your sin, you'll be given the spirit, and you will receive life. There is nothing new within, within um, Proverbs. There's nothing new within, within Titus. We just get uh, greater vantage points after the cross. So look at Titus, starting in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish... Sound familiar? That's what's going on here in Proverbs. We, were, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Simple, scoffing, foolish. That was us. That is our natural state as the unwise. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, But according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, that pouring out, that rivers of living water language, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out onto us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The gospel message, the good news of the scriptures has been the same sin is the problem. There is a call, and the work of the the Spirit is needed. And if there's the work of the Spirit, then there's life. The same rhythm throughout the Scriptures. I want you to see that. And we're going to move a little quicker here and and work through the rest of this this poem. So that's kind of setting up the rest. But there's, there's a transition happening in verse 24. Because, notice verse 24 and verse 25 start with because. Wisdom is giving evidence. Here's the call. Here's the truth. The gospel proclamation is if you turn and believe, I will give you life. But here's the reality. Because I have called you and you refuse to to listen, look at all the parallels here. I have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. Again, four parallel lines. Here's the rejection. You refuse to listen. No one is heeded. You've ignored. You will have none of my reproof. And at the same time, there's the repetition of the calling, the stretching out of the hand, the counsel, and the reproof. What's going on here is I have tried multiple times. This is not my fault, this is yours. This is proving human responsibility. It was not that I didn't make myself known, it was that you rejected me time and time again. That is what what the repetition is driving home here. This is not a lack of information. You have no one to blame but yourself. Here's something that may be hard for many of you to hear. No one goes to hell unwillingly. Everyone in hell wants to be there. Everyone in hell prefers the voice in their own head desiring to be their own God than to listen to the voice of wisdom. And this is going to fly in the face of what many of you have believed falsely. That if we can just convince them, if they just had enough information, that all people are just good and if given the right amount of circumstances, they will make the right decisions. There is nothing new under the sun. No one is in hell unwillingly. And so the message of this this lecture, this poem, as it gets to the middle, is there are consequences when you reject me and you are to blame There are immediate consequences, but then there is ultimate destruction. This foolishness leads to calamity. And so these next couple verses are going to describe a point of no return. Verses 26 and 27, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind when distress and anguish come upon you. Now let's spend a couple moments here. Some of you are going to read, therefore I will laugh and I will mock. And you're like, hold on a second. This is not very kind. This is not very godly. This is very godly. I want you to look at Psalm 2. Uh, So we're in Proverbs. Go to the book to your left, which is Psalms. Go to Psalm number 2. So we talked about last week that Psalm 1 is the introduction to the entire group of psalms and the introduction to all of the wisdom literature psalm 2 is its complement this laughter is not cruel but it is confident it is not the laughter of a petty god but the laughter of a god who sees the sinful acts of men and sees how small they are look at psalm 2 starting in verse 1 why do the nations rage And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against the Lord's anointed saying, let us burst apart their, excuse me, burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Basically, they can't control us. We control ourselves. We can be God. We can be king. He who sits in heaven laughs and the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. And terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Translation, I am God. I own it all. You don't deal with it. That's why God laughs. And wisdom as the divine voice is justified in laughing. So as we, as we think about this, does this make God petty? Well, let's give some practical examples here. What would it look like if you as a student, we've got a lot of students in here, show up first day to class and expect to teach? You show up first day and say, yeah, you know, I know all this already, you can say to the professor, you can sit down, I'll take care of this. I mean, how foolish would that be? Or, how foolish it is if you show up to your your job on day one and start barking orders to everyone else as if you've got it all handled. Some of you may have done that. Some employers may have have seen that. I mean, it's foolish. Or maybe as foolish as someone showing up to church week one and saying, hey, I got this word from the Lord and I'm going to preach today. And actually, that happens a lot more often than you would think. that's, That's ridiculous, right? We would never do that. But yet, we will give someone else a pass when they say to the creator of the universe, their creator, no, God, I've got this. You can take a seat. Who are you to tell me what to do? That is the height of arrogance. We wouldn't do that in a job. We wouldn't do it in a classroom. We wouldn't do that in church. But we do it to the king of the heavens. That's why he laughs. It would be like if the ants in your front yard start to organize an uprising against you. You would laugh because that would be silly. But how silly we are before the Lord. And so wisdom laughs, and wisdom then becomes a mocker. But wisdom is justified in her mocking. I will now mock when terror strikes you, because you're getting exactly what you asked for. And the imagery is rich here. When terror strikes you like a storm, and calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. It's the imagery of a deluge, a, a, a hurricane of natural forces coming upon you. I'm gonna laugh because that's exactly what you deserve. You rejected my call. This is like those people who live in hurricane or a tornado alley or those people who get the hurricane call, they know that it's coming. All their neighbors are flooding, are flooded out. And they're out front in board shorts like, come and get me. This is what's going on. The storm's coming. I'm telling you, avoid it. And you're happy in your ignorance. And you're saying, come and get me. And I'm going to laugh because you look like a fool. Because you are. This is where the gospel call should cut through right now. The gospel call to repent and turn from foolishness. The storm is coming. The gospel call that you are dead in your sins. Everything you are doing is leading you to hell. But there's good news. There's a wise one who's come. There's a wise one who is offering living water. There is a wise one who is offering eternal life. And all that is required is everything you have. But you gain everything he has. For those of us who have received every spiritual blessing in Christ, we know how amazing that promise is. But for those in the world, that's foolish. I don't want to give up my toys. I don't want to give up my stuff. I don't want to give up my control of my own things. That is why they're deserving of the calamity that comes upon them. Because not are you just offered a lifeboat. You offered life. And you prefer the storm. That's why it's foolish. Your only hope is to come to living water. Love the imagery that we looked at on Wednesday in First Peter. The flood wipes away all of the wicked but is the sign of deliverance for the righteous. For God's chosen, he prepares the ark and they float above the waters, but the wicked come under the water. Same kind of picture here. We get into our last section in verse 28. And so now the Father is still speaking to the son through wisdom when he speaks of they in the the third person, but here's the lesson. Listen to me, listen to wisdom, but if you deny me, I will deny you. There's no third option. There's no second chances. There is either listen to wisdom, but if you deny wisdom, she will deny you, she will reject you. Let's, Let's dive in. Then, this then is important in verse 28. Notice everything that has come before, this, this poem is, is moving through a structure. Then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. Basically, now you're going to call on me? Now when all of the, the, the fruit of your decision has, has come upon you. I've been telling you that the storm is coming. Now that the storm's here, now you want to call me? This is, when you, this is when you choose to reach out? The wages of your sin is death. You know this. But when that death has come upon you, it's too late. That's why wisdom does not answer. That's why when they seek me diligently, they will not find me. Wisdom is saying, I called, but you didn't answer. Now, you want to call on your terms? The line's dead. You do not get to call out to God on your terms and in your timing. You do not get to set the terms of your encounter. This language here might be a little challenging when they, say, when they seek me diligently, but they will not find me. We think, well, if they seek him diligently, or they seek her, wisdom, God here, shouldn't that, that mean that they're actually trying? No. What this is saying is that they're trying to seek wisdom in their own strength. There is no amount of your own effort that is going to redeem you. You can try as hard as you want. The call has gone out. You refuse. It's too late. Why not? Why is it too late? Why doesn't wisdom hear? Why can't we get a second chance after death? And so just know that language of 26, 27, that's calamity in this life, but it is ultimately judgment and death. Why Why does wisdom not hear? Verse 29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. This is the purpose of the entire book. We looked at this week one. Why doesn't wisdom listen now? Because you didn't choose the good thing, the fear of the Lord. Notice the second part of verse 30. Or excuse me, verse verse 30 is parallel to verse 29. They hated knowledge. They did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have nothing of my counsel, and they despise my reproof. Here, the fear of the Lord is equal to the counsel and reproof of wisdom. Wisdom, counsel, and reproof is the fear of the Lord. So kind of a sub-theme, here's one of the implications to this. There is no secular wisdom in the book of Proverbs. There is no secular wisdom in the book of Proverbs. What that means is you cannot pull out of of Proverbs something that applies to everyone in every situation or there is no understanding apart from the fear of the Lord from the knowledge of God. There's no secular wisdom in the book of Proverbs. It must be based on the fear of the Lord. And for those who've had none of my counsel, they despise my reproof, therefore, here's the consequences of their action, they shall eat the fruit of their way. And have the fill, have their fill of their own devices. Jesus told us that bad trees bear bad fruit. And if you are a bad tree, pretty soon that's all you will have to eat. That rotten fruit. If this is what you produce, this is what you will end up eating. You are what you eat. Or you will eat what you produce. Same idea biblically. They're led astray by their own appetites and they're going to have the fill of it. There's sin that leads to death, like that raccoon from last week. Caught one Friday night, and it was rancid potatoes. I don't know. But his own devices led him to be entrapped. But I had mercy on that one. Um, So on this this verse, the best analogy I've heard for this this whole passage, and I can't take credit for it, and I won't. um, George Swab in his commentary is really good. It's in the Cornerstone series. He has this perfect analogy. So he talks about the foolishness of those who don't listen in this passage is like a man who's sitting on the end of a branch. So picture this. If you're a kid and you climb trees, um, you you know the idea. you got to pick a branch that can hold your weight. He's sitting on a branch. Tree's here. He's here. This man starts sawing this side of the branch, the one closest to the tree, the one that attaches him to the tree. So he's sawing this end of the branch and then falls and wonders why he's falling. That's exactly what's going on in this passage. Let's break this down because this is brilliant. The branch is wisdom's counsel. The branch is your very life. It is tying you to the tree. It is keeping you from sure death below as you splat on the ground. Wisdom's counsel is the branch that you are sitting on. It's the only thing preserving you. But you begin to saw at it. The action is, 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 um, is essential here. Because you did not accidentally fall off the branch. You willfully, in your own own strength, are sawing yourself to your own death. This is how foolish it is not to listen to the wisdom of God. I am sitting on the suspended end of a branch, and I'm going to saw the connected end of the branch. I am working toward my own destruction. And I begin to fall and then cry for help. Wisdom is saying, Come down, you fool. The fool says, Now I'll cut my way down and figure it out before I hit the ground. That is what's going on in this poem. And so the last two verses are the moral of the story, the proverb of this lesson, if you will. The proverb of this lesson is. Some are going to die, and some are going to live. So as I was thinking about this, I want to draw on the wisdom of G.I. Joe. Uh, So if you grew up in the 80s, every week as a kid I thought it was silly, but they would always have a lesson at the end. And now you know, and what? Knowing is half the battle. Absolutely. The wisdom of G.I. Joe, and now you know knowing is half half the battle. You've got half the battle. You've got the information. but you must still employ this information to win the battle. You cannot win the battle with information alone. You must employ this. And so here's the lesson that is given to us in verse 32 and verse 33. And for those of you who did not get the G.I. Joe reference, you are missing out on great Saturday morning cartoon history. Um, So I want you to look at these two examples. Verse 32. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Four, here's the kind of outcome of all this. Let's summarize this in the, the proverb of the passage. The simple. Uh, as I was thinking about this, try to put this into an illustration. The simple are those who remain simple and are destined to die. So think about this. The simple one is like a man on a raft. This man on the raft is heading toward a waterfall. And the man on the raft is ignorant of where, he, of, of where he's going. But he's just, enjo- he's just enjoying the ride. He's just sunning himself on the raft. And there's someone crying out from the shore, wisdom, saying, waterfall, come back. Come over here. There's safety over here. There's, there's life over here. But the simple one says, should I listen? Nah, I think I'll be Okay. And so the this, this simple are killed by their, by their turning away. Instead of repenting from the direction that leads to destruction, they just turn away and they're content and their simplicity. And he perishes over the waterfall. But the fool takes it one step further. And the complacency of fools destroys them. Here's the fool. Same scenario. The fool knows the waterfall is coming. He doesn't care. The fool has heard the warnings. The fool knows full well that the waterfall is coming. The fool has heard wisdom. And he says, wisdom forgets you. He starts paddling harder. The fool goes over the waterfall, middle fingers in the air, saying, I'm, I'm, this is what I want. It destroys him. He is complacent in his foolishness and he loves it. Anyone ever seen this? It feels like everywhere you turn, our world flaunts its foolishness today. Those who are paddling harder headed to the waterfall. Who are you, God, to tell me what to do? Thankfully, in the gospel, it does not end with bad news. There is bad news, and there are consequences, but there is good news. One simple, solitary, beautiful Verse of good news. But, verse 33, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Whoever listens to me. Notice, verse 20, wisdom cries. Verse 21, wisdom cries. Verse 22, wisdom cries. Verse 24, wisdom cries. Verse 26, they cry in return. But in verse 33, the ones who hear the cry... They're the ones who will dwell secure. They're the ones who will be at ease. This is life. This is salvation. Quickly on the screen, be Psalm 27 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen? Amen. If you hear the call of wisdom, that is what we stand on. The Lord is my salvation. He is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I fear? I want us to kind of wind down in Romans 8. And I want you to be encouraged saints. Uh, this will not be on the screen, so I want you to turn there. I want you to know where Romans is, especially where Romans 8 is. If you are feeling discouraged, you should definitely know where Romans 8 is. Amen. Romans 8, I want to pick up in verse 31. How can the one who listens to wisdom be so confident? How can they be so secure? How can they be without dread, without fear of disaster? Here's why. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's our security. That is our hope. Our God, who didn't spare his own Son, the Father sent the Son the fullness of wisdom in bodily form to go before us so that we could hear the voice of wisdom and be called to shore and avoid the, the calamity and disaster that we deserve. If he gave his son up for us, if he sent Jesus Christ in the flesh to go to the cross to die for your sins, how will he not graciously give us all things? And then who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. If God says you are mine, that is why the wise have no fear of disaster. They don't live in dread because they've heard the call of wisdom because the Lord has opened their ears and they have repented and they, he has saved them from death. Furthermore, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? The beauty of this lesson is is that if we are in Christ, no one can bring a charge against us. It doesn't mean that Christians will not face calamity and disaster. We know that that's not the case, but we know that when we do, we'll never be separated from his love, because we are his. He is our security. So I want you to note, uh, I have a few final thoughts, but before I do, I want you to notice where this falls. So next week we're going to start chapter two. So this section falls right between the um, parents' in, in instruction, beginning or excuse me, ending in verse nineteen, and again the parents' reiteration in verse or excuse me, chapter two, verse one. This wisdom interlude is so essential to the Father's message. Don't follow the sinners. Follow my wise instruction, and here's a picture of, what, of why not, because here's what will happen to you. Again, like we said last week, this is the wise father who's saying, I know what's in front of you. I know what's on the path. Listen to me, and if not, listen to Lady Wisdom. So final thoughts, will you listen to wisdom? Biblical wisdom is a divine voice. When you read the scriptures, Men, I encourage you to join today. In our study, we're going through why the doctrine of Scripture is important. Because it is God-breathed. Because it is the wisdom of God that points us to Christ. To save you from ultimate destruction, but also immediate consequences of your own making. A lot of you would be saved a lot of calamity and, and tribulation and distress if you listened to God's Word. For those of us who know Christ, the scriptures are the wisdom of God. Christ crucified is the power of salvation. But to the fools and those who are perishing, it's foolishness. So that question again, will you listen to wisdom? The call then, the call now is to repent and believe. And the time to listen to wisdom is today. Stop sawing your own branch. Many believers are putting themselves in peril because they don't listen to the wisdom of God. The the day to listen to wisdom is now. But if you do not know Christ, once you die, there is no hope for wisdom. If the Lord comes back tomorrow, if he takes you tomorrow, there are no no second second chances. Today is the day of salvation. Repent and believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, we praise you. You are a great and awesome God. You are patient with us when we do not hear you, when we ignore you, when we stick our fingers in our ears like immature little children. Lord, forgive us. Tune our ears to hear your voice. Stir in us the consequences of our sin that we might turn to you. That we might believe the good news, the promised Holy Spirit that washes us and sanctifies us and regenerates us and gives us eternal life. May we be like the wise one who hears the words and dwells in the security of our Savior. And even though the storm may rage around us, we know that no one can separate us from his love. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.